Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. That word for division means division, obviously. Opposition, hostility. Jesus came to bring hostility to the earth. You won't hear Joel Osteen say that. He, in, a, in, a, in a sense that we rightly understand, he came to sow division. He came to sow not peace, but a sword. He didn't come the first time in his first coming with the, goal, the optimal goal of world peace. Just let that sit for a minute. His first coming was not with the optimum goal of world peace. It was to sow division. It was to divide because it was to take the gospel of His living, His dying, His being raised from the grave to the ends of the earth to save His people. But the gospel by its very nature divides. And he told us that in the context of this quote, that it will divide families. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. I know some of us have experienced that. Especially if we come to faith later in life and the rest of the family is not. That tends to cut a pretty good division and lead to quite a bit of strife in the, in the house. But the division is gospel division. It's the gospel that divides. The gospel rightly proclaimed, the gospel rightly taught, the gospel rightly preached and not watered down will divide. And we have to be okay with that. And in one sense, we are called to sow division. Not by being jerks. That's easy. Right? Or jerkettes, whatever you call a, a lady. But by being faithful. To live out what we claim. That to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If we are faithful with the gospel. Jesus tells us. It will sow division. And we have to be okay with that. Some believe in love. Others reject and hate. In various ways. And there is no way to change that fact. And we've already seen it in Acts. We've been going through Acts. You've seen it very early on. In chapter 4, in chapter 5. We've seen it in chapter 7 with Stephen being stoned. And we've seen it in chapter 8 with Saul of Tarsus trying to stamp out the church. Trying to stamp out the gospel. And, and to, in his eyes, to some extent, success at that point because the church was scattered. Out of Jerusalem. But I've said this before. It's like stomping a gas fire. Don't try that by the way. It just spreads the fire. And what happened through that division. And through that persecution. Was the gospel was going out. Farther and farther and farther. Because the church was taking the gospel. Everywhere they went. The church was persecuted. Scattered. But they took the gospel and new churches were born. And the gospel continues to thrive as it will until Jesus achieves his mission through his people. But people are divided. Houses are divided. Cities are divided as we see today by the gospel. The gospel goes out. And the city is redeemed. The city is divided. But God's people are redeemed and churches are planted. So main point thing I wanted you to see, you know, looking at these and learning from what these these portions tell us about the missionary journeys and how they might apply to our lives. Um, just division stuck out. And so in the main point, if we are and this is true and we have to make peace with this, if we are, be, are to be effective in witness we must make peace with division. If you're going to be an effective witness, you have to make peace with division. You have to be willing to sow discord. 
wherever you go. Because not on purpose, but you know that the gospel divides. And if the gospel divides, you know if you're faithful with the gospel, it's going to cut a line in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our cities. If we're to be effective in witness, we must make peace with division because some will believe and some will reject. And as long as it's the gospel that's the problem and not us, like I said, we're not being jerks with it, then we have to be okay with that. But look, at, look at an example of that in the city of Iconium. We've already seen the church, you know, first missionary journey up through Cyprus in what is now modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor. And you have them coming into Antioch, Pisidia. We have a, a, a pattern of the message and the way that they ministered when they would come into a city. They would go to the synagogue and they would seek to reason from the Scriptures, going Jew first and then Gentile. They would reason from the Scriptures that Christ, Jesus Christ, is the Messiah. And the first thing that I'm highlighting and the first thing that Scripture highlights is that many came to faith. So first point, many are converted by gospel proclamation. And it's just verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So it says they spoke in such a way. They were so clever and they knew so much They had just the right apologetic. No, look back in chapter 13. I'm going to let you do that. But what they went into these synagogues doing was reasoning from the Scriptures and showing that the, what the Old Testament pro, pro, prophesied and expected was what has happened in Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah that they expected. And they would prove that from what we call the Old Testament, what that was the Scriptures, all they had at that point. They would show from the Scriptures of the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah to come. And you can do that starting in Genesis and going all the way to Malachi. Malachi. And that's what they would do because that's what Christ had done and that's what He had taught them to do. They went preach, speaking in such a way. What kind of way? They went speaking in a gospel way. They went into the synagogues with the gospel. And faithfully proclaiming the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus died for our sins. No, He didn't come to be king and reign and rout the enemies the first coming. He came to be the suffering servant and to die. And see, Jewish brains are scrambling at that point. The Messiah is not supposed to die. So they'd show Him from Isaiah 53 and other places. Yes, the Messiah was supposed to die. From Psalms. It's all over the place. Yes, he was supposed to die, but guess what? It's also expected for him to be raised from the grave. So they would show that from the Old Testament. That the Old Testament predicted not only his death, but his resurrection. And then they would say that salvation is free to you. Because it was purchased by him. A righteousness that you don't have provided through the Messiah who died and has been raised from the grave. And we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a controversial message. It's one that they didn't expect. And it's one that would cut a line right down through the synagogue. But it says this, and this is interesting. It says that they went into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way, the same way they spoke in chapter 13, proving them from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah who was to die and be raised from the grave and that salvation is found in Him and in Him alone. That's how they spoke. That was the way. And it says a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And it's like, wait, this is a Jewish synagogue. And they went into the synagogue and preached the Gospel. And a great number of Jews and Greeks believed, or Gentiles, non-Jews. By the way, that's the world to a Jew. When it says God so loved the world, God so loved not just the Jews, but the world. A large crowd of Jews and Gentiles. Who are these Gentiles? Well, we've talked about proselytes before, and those would be Gentile converts to Judaism who would go the whole way. <laughs> Circumcision, big deal. I'm not going to talk about that. Your kids ask you. You can tell them at home. <laughs> and then the God-fearers who were Gentiles who would adopt the Jewish God and the Jewish commandments and Scriptures, but they didn't go all the way. They didn't 
No knives. So anyway, there's a, there's a crowd of Jews and sympathizers or proselytes or God-fearers, converts who are Gentiles by nature but have adopted the Jewish ways and Jewish religion. They're there, they hear the gospel, and they believed. Now, when Scripture says somebody believes, you, ha- you still have to f- kind of wait and find out whether that's a true belief because Simon the sorcerer says that about him and it turned out to be just an intellectual ascent. But it says, it says that a great number of Jews and Greeks, they believed, they accepted the message. They, they, what did they believe? They believed that Jesus was the Messiah who had died for our sins, been buried. Jesus the Christ. Christ just Greek for the same thing, right? Anointed word, Messiah. He had died for our sins. He'd been buried. He'd been raised from the grave. And salvation is found in him. So the Jews, a large number of Jews and Gentiles in Iconium believe. They had faith. What is faith, by the way? I'll just pause just a minute to do that again. You've heard me do this, but there are people who haven't heard me do this. The reformers said there are three elements to true and saving faith. The first element is knowledge. You have to know what the gospel is. You have to know the facts of the gospel. That Jesus is the Son of God, the only Son of God, the God-man, who lived for us, who died for us, who was raised from the grave, and who gives salvation in Him and in Him alone. You have to know the facts of the gospel. Second element of saving faith is believing that those facts are true. And so many stop there. I mean, go out witnessing to people and you'll hear over and over and over, I believe in God. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And depending on the situation, you might not want to be so bold as to say, so does the devil. And that might be jarring to you to hear that. Faith is more than just belief in something. It's more than just, I mean, it's an old illustration, but I believe that chair will hold me. But am I trusting in that chair right now? No. I'm not. When do I trust in that chair? Hey. Now I'm trusting the chair. See the difference? I can intellectually believe that's a good chair and it'll hold me. But I'm not trusting it if I'm not sitting in it. I can intellectually believe Jesus is the Son of God who died to pay for our sins and was raised from the grave. But if I'm not Trusting in Him alone. Entrusting my soul to Him. Believing. Having faith. So that third element that must be there is trust. Knowledge of the gospel. Belief that it's true. You're not saved yet. Trust in Jesus. And in Jesus alone. Not in Jesus to make up what you can't do. You'll do the best you can and He'll make up the rest. Trust in Him alone. All... Every bit of your righteousness is His righteousness. Every bit of your forgiveness is His death. Trusting in Him and Him alone. That's what's happening here. The gospel's going forth. People are hearing the facts of the gospel. By the work of the Spirit, they're coming to believe those facts are true. And they are entrusting their soul to Jesus. They're no longer trying to work their way into heaven. They're no longer believing that mother and daddy's faith is good enough. They're no longer trusting in their Bible reading or their giving or their attendance and badges. They're trusting in Jesus alone. How about you? How about you? I'm not asking you if you ever doubt. I'm not asking you if you have a perfect faith. But is your hope for salvation, reconciliation with God, eternal life in Jesus and Jesus alone? I hope so. That's what's happening here. People are being converted They're going from unbelief to belief. They're going from non-faith to faith. They're repenting of unbelief and turning in faith to Christ. Which will make a difference in their life. Their life will growingly look like a life that loves Jesus more than self. They believed. So many heard the gospel and believed. But we can just stop like there, right there. And it's just this cool, really easy story, right? And that's what always happens. We just go share the gospel and people believe. Mm, Look, second point, many are irritated and that's mild. 
Many are irritated by gospel proclamation. I, word, I use the word proclamation on purpose so that you wouldn't, when I, if I say preaching, you wouldn't think it's just my job. Proclamation is all of our job. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But many are irritated by gospel proclamation. If you don't water it down. But if you talk about things like Jesus being the only way. The only Savior. Jesus being God and man. Jesus dying to pay the penalty of our sins. Jesus giving free gift as, salvation as a free gift. If you talk about us being sinful and undeserving of His grace and deserving wrath and not having any righteousness to offer God. You're going to irritate some people. Somebody's going to need a safe space. Listen, that's ridiculous, by the way. If you can't handle opinions that differ from yours, you need retraining. Because that's life. And there are no safe spaces in the real world. Sorry. No, not really. <laughs> Many are irritated by the preaching of the gospel. Notice that unbelief is on mission too. Unbelief is usually on mission too. Look at this. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. They, they stirred up the Gentiles and they poisoned their minds. They're evangelistic with their unbelief. They're irrational with their unbelief. But everybody else needs to agree with them. So the unbelieving Jews, the ones that didn't believe that Christ was the Messiah, didn't believe the gospel message they were preaching, not only disbelieved themselves, but they were vocal about it. They were active about it. They were on mission to spread their unbelief and make sure that people in the city of that city did not believe. So they're stirring up all kinds of trouble and sometimes doing it in unrighteous ways. The scripture sometimes said that they gathered rabble, you know. Ungodly people to their side. But they're spreading unbelief. They're literally poisoning the minds of those who are hearing the gospel. That's what they're seeking to do. They're sowing discord in the community. They're seeking to get people to reject and not believe the, the gospel message. They're at least at this point verbally persecuting Paul and Barnabas. And that's no surprise. Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, and listen, if you're faithful with the gospel, the world, the unbelieving world, the world that is against Christ will hate you. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. And if you water down the message to make it acceptable to the world, the world will love you. Or at least not persecute you. You know, it's just my truth. It's the path I've found. You know, whatever's good for you is good for you. But this is what I believe to be true. That's not much of a witness. It's what the culture demands, though. Whatever you want, you have, but don't you dare say, I'm wrong. Know that the world hated Jesus before it hated you. It says this, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. We talked about election before, we'll do it again. Not this message, but if you have questions, let me know. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him 
who sent me. Tragedy. The Jews, the God they came to believe in, they are claimed to believe in, they are rejecting as they reject His Son. And they're persecuting the apostles because it's, it's really not a, it, they really don't hate Paul and Barnabas. They really don't know much about them. They hate the gospel message that they're preaching. It's unbelief that leads to persecution. And it's unbelief ultimately in Jesus. It's really about Jesus, not you. And in some sense, that can set you free. When people reject you and speak evil of you and, and, and come against you for Christ's sake, what are you supposed to do? Leap for joy. Why? That's how they treated the false prophets. When everybody loves you, you're in trouble. Because that's how they thought. I mean, that's how they treated true prophets. Yeah, that's how they, when everybody loves you, that's how they treated the false prophets. But Jesus said, rejoice when you're persecuted. Rejoice when you're maligned. Rejoice when people don't like what you're saying because you're faithfully speaking about me. Have a sanctified hallelujah fit. And that's undergirding. That theology of gospel and gospel faithfulness and what to really expect is undergirding the apostles as they preach the gospel to the city. So listen, they are not surprised by the resistance. They're not going, what's going on? They're not surprised by the conversions, but they're not surprised by the resistance. They're not surprised by the division. So look at their response. Now this is cool. It's one of those things that where it says something you don't expect the word to say. Because they're, 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 the unbelieving Jews are poisoning and stirring up the minds of the Gentiles. They're sowing discord and rejection uh, against them. It says, so they remain for a long time. <laughs> this is just verbal at this point. It's just verbal rejection. It's just stewing in the background. It's just sowing discord. But it's verbal at this point. It says, so they remain a long time. Maybe, you know, I don't know, six months or so. Preaching and teaching and staying faithful and staying with the gospel. Able to hear the resistance. In fact, they expect the resistance. So it doesn't throw them off course. They stayed for a long time. Look at this. Speaking boldly for the Lord. Speak, they stayed in the midst of, yes, conversion and acceptance, but also hostility and rejection. And this tends to be louder. They stayed for a long time speaking boldly. Where does boldness come from? Gospel boldness. Chapter 4. Prayed, filled with the Spirit, spoke boldly or continued to speak boldly. Gospel boldness. You may be naturally just a brash or bold person. That's not gospel boldness. Right? If you're leaning in your own strength. Gospel boldness is the Spirit filling you. What do I mean? Empowering you. Controlling you. As you trust Him to do so. To do what God calls you to do. And in this case, which is to speak boldly. Even in the face of opposition. The strength is not in you. Strength is not in me. The strength is in God. Empowering us by His Spirit. So, I mean, it convicts me too. Because if I'm not being bold with the Gospel, it means I'm not walking in submission and dependence upon the filling of the Spirit. But see, they were bold. They were standing in the face of opposition. They remained a long time. They, 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 they expected it. And it says, they were speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of His grace. Notice the gospel is a word of God's grace. Notice what they were preaching was a word of grace. What is grace? God being gracious. Not giving us mercifully what we deserve, but giving us what Christ deserved. God giving us salvation. Salvation is by grace alone. It's, it's a gift. We, we, we turn and we trust in Jesus. And we're forgiven for all of our sins. We are credited His righteousness. We are accepted in Him and made children of God in Him. And being, being transformed. But it's all by grace. See, it's not legalism. We don't work our way to God. We don't earn His salvation, but we live in it and it works its way out of us. 
It says God bore witness to the word of His grace. And we've seen this before. It says granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So people being healed. People being delivered. You know, God is testifying. Go read Hebrews 2. That God worked through. The apostles are still on the scene. And the apostles and their associates. God is doing signs of an apostle through them. For what reason? To confirm the gospel. To confirm the gospel. So they're staying bold. They're filled with the Spirit. God's using them there in this place. And the gospel is continuing to go forth. And it just continues to irritate people to no end. And notice they didn't pull back on the message. They didn't make it palatable. They were calling people to repentance and faith in Jesus. And then in verse 4, the city's divided. Ends up being, it's going all the way into the city hall and plans are being made to wipe these people out because they just won't shut up about this Jesus thing. Verse 4, but, but the people of the city were divided. Notice the gospel divides. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews, they're leaguing together now, the ones who didn't believe, with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them. They wanted to kill them. The same thing with Jesus. Because they wouldn't stop dividing the city with this gospel. They wouldn't stop coming against their idols. Now the opposition turns physical. But God gets word to them. In verse 6, They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia of that district, to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So they didn't stop evangelizing. And this won't be the last time they come to Iconium. They'll come back through on every missionary journey. But for now, since the threat is... The threat is death. They, by God's grace, and I'm sure by God's direction, God's working it out. They move on mission. Because there's a journey that they're to complete. They move on with the gospel to see God save. So their response was against verbal threat to dig in, to stay there, to stay faithful with the truth. And then against physical threat, well, they move on at that point for a time. But continue proclaiming the gospel. They never stop preaching the gospel. Nothing stops the gospel. Because nothing can stop God. And He will take the good news of His salvation to the ends of this earth. And they will be people in heaven. New heavens, new earth. Eventually, ultimately. From every tribe and nation and people and language. You see that in Revelation. And from Iconium. And from Swansboro. And from every whatever city you're from. See, this is, they're on mission. They are obeying Jesus. And Jesus had told them, Matthew 28, 18-20, He'd given the mission of the church to the church through the apostles. And He said uh, in, in Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. In other words, I'm king now. He's not waiting to be king. Go therefore, and that literally means go. If you hear somebody says that means as you're going, that's not the flavor of that. It's literally a command to go to all nations and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, watch this, without it we could. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go and win them to me. And baptism, the culmination of that. And then teach them to joyfully obey me. And I'm with you to the end of the age. See, the mission is more than just notching our belt with converts. It's then training up those converts to love and honor and live for Jesus. It's, it's teaching them, as we talked about last week, to make every effort to grow because they've been accepted in God's grace. But the mission was given by Jesus, the apostles, are fulfilling that 
Um, it, when it calls them apostles, when it, and it includes Barnabas in that, that's apostles, I say with a small a, because the word just means sent ones. You know, the, the twelve were sent ones of Jesus with special authority and power. And then the church sends what we would call missionaries. You know, Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church in Antioch of Syria to go on this missionary journey. So they're sent ones, so therefore they're apostles, little a. But Paul is a, tr he's both. He's a capital A and a small a apostle. He's a combination. That's why you see the sign and wonders taking place. So Paul and Barnabas were faithful to the call of God. They traveled with the gospel. They were sent ones of the church. And the gospel went forth and more and more churches, more and more believers, more and more people are converted. So you have believers, more and more churches are planted because souls are being saved. And they'll, they'll go down to Lystra and Derby, and then they'll come back through and go back and give a report. So we're near the end of this journey. But they went because they were faithful to the call to take the gospel. And you might say, cool for them. I don't have a call. That's your job, preacher man. That's what you're doing. But I don't have that call. God's not called me to talk to people about Jesus. We say we don't believe that, but then the way we live practically But let me refresh you in the call that God has for you just quickly. And I know they say if you want to empty a room, talk about prayer and evangelism. I say do that legalistically and empty the room. Okay? But if it's in grace, it's what God calls us to do. And He administers grace to His people to grow us in grace. So growing in prayer, growing in witness is part of growing in grace. But you have a call to be a witness for Jesus. If you are trusting Jesus. Youngest to oldest. Everything in between. And God only expects you to share what you know. Well I will share when I answer all, can answer all the questions. Well then you will never share. I will share when I know all the scriptures. Well then you will never share. You start where you are. How we teach kids to play baseball. We start them in tea league. Right? Pee wees. And it's fun to watch. And they can't even hit the ball off the tee. They hit the tee and the coach. And, but they're out there doing what they can. And then they grow in it. And before you know it, some of them are college players or major league. But we start and we grow. But God, God has given us a call. Just a reminder, in chapter 8 of Acts, who took the gospel out from Jerusalem? Was it the apostles? No, they stayed put. It was the church that was scattered that took the gospel with them. And you end up with a church in Syria that then becomes a mission-sending church and they send Paul and Barnabas out. So it was people going out, talking about Jesus, sharing what they know. They were excited about the gospel because it was a gospel of grace, not legalism. So they were willing to talk about it. Listen, this is convicting. Grandparents, don't talk about your grandchildren. Don't tell anybody about your grandchildren. You can't do that, can you? Why? Because you love them. You're excited about them. Young people... Don't talk about your boyfriend or girlfriend to anybody. You can't do that. Because you're excited about them. Now, there's a different level. I, I get that. But we, we talk about what we're committed to, what we're excited about, what we love, we talk about. Why don't we talk about Jesus? And not like everybody in here doesn't. Some people get it and are doing it. Others of us are not. Some of us need refreshing in it. But we're called to be. In fact, not called to be. Jesus calls us. Look at Matthew 5. The light of the world. You, followers, my followers, my disciples. You are the light of the world. Not you should be or will be. That's what you are. Because you're in Jesus who is the light of the world. And He, if He's in you, will shine from you rivers of living water flowing from your belly. All those other illustrations. Look what He says. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. That's obvious. You ever been driving at night and there's a city? It's like light everywhere. 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand and it gives light to all the house. Now watch. In the same way, you let your light shine before people. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, your love for Jesus, your following after Him, and glorify your Father in heaven. If they're going to glorify your Father in heaven and not just think you're good or bad or however they think about it, you have to talk about it. They have to know why you're living. And you can't glorify the Father without glorifying the Son. So people have to know that you're living for Jesus. That's why you live differently. But Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Big responsibility. Scary, right? No, you do that. Let the angels do that. They do far better. But in His wisdom, it's us. We are the light of the world. Look at this. And this, this is just a sampling. 1 Peter 2.9. Peter speaking to the church and about the church. Which is made up of Jew and Gentile. Gentiles grafted in. But he says, you are a chosen race. Echoing the Old Testament language. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. Why? Whenever you see the word that or so that or in order that, this is the purpose. So this is the main purpose that we are a chosen holy people for God's own possession. This is our purpose. Watch. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Your main reason for still being here, the reason God didn't save you and zap you to heaven is so that you can be a witness for Jesus. So that you can proclaim the excellencies, not just of God in general, but the God who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light through the Gospel in Christ. We are included in the mission. We have, yes, as a church, but as individuals, that's how it happens. We are included in the mission and we are to be about making disciples. So we are to be willing to sow division. To do it in a gracious way. To do it in a loving way. but to, Not a jerk way, right? But to do it in a faithful way. That's what's happening through the apostles. That's what's happening in Iconium. And the result was both salvation and rejection. A line cut through the city. Division. But that division was because of the gospel. Are you willing to sow division for Jesus? That's a convicting question for me. And in some sense you might think I get a pass because I get to stand up here and do it every Sunday. I'm not went out there. I mean, I have neighbors, I don't even know their name, much less whether or not they've ever heard of Jesus. How about you? Co-workers. Gym buddies. I know this is convicting, but we need to own this. Because we need refreshing and we need rededication and we need to be on mission for Jesus. This is for you, not just for them and not just for me. It's for all of us. We are, we are to be willing to take a stand for Jesus and to speak to others even if they hate it. Are you willing to sow division? It is so funny about all the stuff we're willing to sow division about, right? Whether or not you have an iPhone. See if I can pick one nobody in here pulls for. I might miss. Atlanta Falcons. Los Angeles Rams. Okay, I'll go there. Green Bay Packers. New England Patriots. Carolina Panthers. We're willing to wear the colors. To take a stand. Right? In some of our states. I mean, like I come from one. Mild. But go to Alabama. Alabama, Auburn. I mean, people get violent. But people are willing to take a stand for their sports team. For their iPhone. For their skinny jeans. 
I don't have a problem with skinny jeans. You just won't see them on me. <laughs> when you get my age and you're wearing skinny jeans, there's another problem somewhere. <laughs> Especially if you're a preacher. <laughs> we divide over skin color, financial status, boyfriends, girlfriends. We take a stand in so many areas, but not for Jesus. Why? Because it might offend my friends. They might not think well of me. I might lose whatever. And I, I've already hinted at it, but one of the reasons why we don't share is, is flowing out of postmodern ideas that there is no ultimate truth. Everybody has their own truth. And so you should never call anybody else wrong. That's why people can't take it. But listen, you're born wrong about God. You're born wrong about how you're saved. You're born in sin, needing repentance. And so the gospel comes at you as a foreign idea requiring change. And if you won't tell anybody they're wrong, you will never faithfully share the gospel. And listen, if you won't hear that you might be wrong, you'll never hear it. You'll never be converted. You might live in a safe space and go to hell forever and I do not want that for you. The cool thing about God calls all of us to be, He calls us light and He calls us to be faithful with the gospel is the last thing Jesus said, I am with you to the end of the age. It's really Him doing it through us. Just are we willing to be used and speak His word? Is Christ more important than your reputation, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your family? A word that's very convicting to me, and I'm assuming it would be to you, is the word ashamed. If it's in reference to Jesus. That's a searching question, isn't it? Am I ashamed of Jesus? You know what? If I don't talk about Him, I am. If I'm unwilling to risk relationships for the gospel, I'm ashamed of Jesus. I'm living for me. Paul said this in Romans 1.16, St. Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is... Why, Paul? Because it's fun? Because nobody gets hurt or nobody gets... No, look at this. Way down deeper than that. For it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes it. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's the good news of God's grace in Jesus. It's the reason I'm here and it's what saved me. But I won't share it with others. To be ashamed is to be reluctant out of fear of embarrassment. It's a lack of courage to stand up for something. And as we said, it's natural for us to be that way, especially when it comes to spiritual things. But we have the spirit to make us bold and to empower us. Look at this. Here's a verse that's often quoted out of context. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of sound mind. Right? What's the context of that? Fear I'm going to miss my destiny. It's fear of sharing the gospel. Look at this. The very next verse. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. If you're faithful with the gospel, it's going to bring some form of suffering to you. But the joy in Christ that you have and the salvation that you have in Him is so much more worth it that we should be pouring there. But whenever you hear somebody quoting, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of sound mind, that's so we'll witness. So we'll be light and salt. So we'll talk about Jesus. And yes, parents, it is vital for you to talk to your kids about Jesus. That's part of it. That's no less a part of it. But in some sense, that's our comfy place, right? Also outside the home. He's given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind so that you'll be a light and salt for Him. These are sobering words from Jesus Himself. 
He says this in Mark 8.38, after another verse that's quoted out of context. What shall it profit if I gain the whole world and lose my soul, right? Right after that, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation, adulterous and sinful generation, that's where we live, by the way, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. God, have mercy on us for being ashamed and deliver us. Christ has made peace with division for us. Christ put himself low and us more important and came to live a lowly hard life and to die an excruciatingly painful death to save us. How can we be ashamed of him? Listen, I'm in the camp, so I can say this. But I'm an introvert. Well, there's no introvert exception <laughs> when it comes to the gospel. God has a sense of humor. He makes an introvert a pastor. And it kills me. And I to sometimes have to, I don't know. I just, it, it drains me. I'll put it that way. But there's no exemption. Christ made peace with division for us. Christ sacrificed himself for us. Will we sacrifice ourselves for him? See, he came to heal our real division, which was division from God. Our sin separates us from God. We are deserving of wrath from God, but he came and lived in perfect righteousness, deserving only blessing so that he could give that righteousness to us through faith. And he died to pay the penalty for our sins on that cross and drank that cup dry so that he could say it is finished. His name is the Lord is salvation. He came and sacrificed himself and paid our penalty. Will we follow him? I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm in God's grace crying out for and, and purposing a renewal, a repentance, a refreshing in being light and salt for him. Especially where it's uncomfortable. That doesn't mean I'm going to stand up in the middle of Wendy's and start preaching the gospel every time I go in there. But be intentional about praying for lost people and talking to lost people and seeking to be light and salt where it's uncomfortable for me. So pray for me. Pray for Mike. Pray for us. Pray for you. Because if you're trusting Christ, if you have the riches of His grace, it is not to be a, a lake with a dam where it stops with you, but flowing river of grace. It flows through you to other people. Christ did come to, to sow division, to bring hostility. But it's a gospel division that we have a role in. We see it happening in Iconium. We see the, the disciples and the witnesses there, the, the apostles there, taking that risk and being on fire and sharing the good news about Jesus. We see them sowing division, but it is Jesus' division. It's over Jesus. They faithfully, lovingly, kindly went and shared the good news. And a lot of people believed, praise God. But a lot of people didn't. If he's at work in us, we will risk it too. But only grace, listen, only grace will propel us forward. Only the power of the Spirit. Only refreshing. This is not a do more and try harder. This is not a legalistic thing so that God will love you more. It's God have mercy on me. And as Isaiah said, here I am, send me. I've been graciously forgiven by you, which makes me love you and be grateful for you. Now send me out for you that I might love my neighbor with the gospel. Go and risk gospel division for Jesus who did it for you. And came to serve you. He says in Mark 10.45. And I'll end with this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. But to serve. And to give his life. As a ransom. For many. To live as Christ. Let's pray.
Lord, make that a growing reality in our lives. Forgive us. Forgive us for being ashamed of you. Forgive us for just getting cold and not even thinking about it maybe by now. For not being zealous and on fire for you because of your grace in our lives. Help us. Set us free. Lord, I, I confess it for me. I confess it for us. And not everybody here. I know, I know good and passionate witnesses here. But forgive us for taking you for granted. Forgive us for being ashamed of you. Forgive us for not risking division. Forgive us for loving ourselves more than we love you. Forgive us, Lord, for not living like what we are, which is light and salt and a witness. Lord, thank you that we can confess our sins to you and you promise that you are, you are willing to forgive. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So forgive us, Lord, and cleanse us, Lord, and fill us with your spirit. And help us to be bold with Holy Spirit boldness. Help us to be willing and take the risk of sowing division. Help us to be loving and gracious and patient, but to be faithful with the good news of salvation in our wonderful Savior. Help us, Father. Work in us. And as you filled the early church with your spirit and they spoke with boldness, fill us to speak with boldness. And I pray that there would be numerous new believers in Grace Church as a result of our witness that we need to disciple and train up to love and honor and obey you. Lord, make us a God-honoring Christ-centered, spirit-filled, gospel-trumpeting church here and as you enable us around the world. Grow us in grace, we pray. Thank you for sacrificing your Son to redeem sinful, weak, unworthy sinners. And we, we included in that. So we praise you this morning. We pray for your help. We trust you for it. We know it's your will. We rejoice in your forgiveness. We trust in your power. Help us to love you by living for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.